before I get going uh, too quickly, uh, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I know Bill will never bring it up, but um, I want to because I appreciate Bill uh, and all the work that he does. Um, I love working here at New Hope, and he's a big part of that. So, Bill, thank you for everything that you do. If you guys appreciate him, yeah, let him know. Um, it's difficult work, um, but it is rewarding as well uh, when we get to see lives changed by Christ. Uh, so we are going to wrap up uh, the series on questions um, today. Uh, and the question that we're asking is, what are you doing here? Uh, that comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and so while you turn there in your Bibles, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about what happened uh, just before this story. Uh, so in 1 Kings 18, uh, Elijah uh, confronts Jezebel and uh, all her prophets, the prophets of Baal uh, and, and Asherah and everybody else, and uh, says, you set up your, your altar over there and I'll set up mine over here and we'll see whose God is the real God. And of course, our God, the real God, the one true God answers uh, by sending fire when there was no answer uh, from the other God. And Jezebel is furious. She threatens Elijah's life, not for the first time, uh, but this time he's right there uh, with her. So uh, we're going to pick that up in verse 3 of 1 Kings chapter 19. And it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So we'll stop right there uh, before we get to the question. But So not, not without reason, Elijah is scared and he runs for his life. Jezebel has the ability to make good on her threat to kill him. He's seen it happen to other prophets. They've been killed uh, because they won't bow down to the false gods, right? And, and he's just, he's so tired uh, of running and fighting, and he, he feels alone. He feels like he just doesn't have it in him anymore. He says, God, just, just take my life. I'm done. I've had enough. He's done dealing with the difficulty he's faced, and and I'm sure Elijah isn't the only one who's felt this way. When, when Kennedy was potty training, there were some days, just like, I'm done. I quit. I can't do this anymore. A little bit more lighthearted than Elijah was facing, but still, it was hard. But, but sometimes, sometimes it feels like this, like just, I'm just so beat up. I, I have nothing left, God. Can you just send Jesus back already? You know, Elijah obviously wouldn't have prayed for Jesus to come back because he hadn't come in the first place. But for us, maybe it's like, okay, God, 
this world is it's too much for me now. Just send Jesus back. I'm ready. Right? Did God tell Elijah, get over it? Did he tell him, you know what? It's not that bad. Stop your whining. Anybody ever told their kids that? <laughs> I have. Right? Of course he didn't, right? He sent an angel, and the angel comforted him. It gave him food, gave him something to eat. Uh, the angel sustained Elijah and gave him strength. And then he said, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. He's got some renewed strength, and he goes to uh, Mount Horeb, and he goes into a cave where he spends the night. But I think that while we haven't gotten to the question yet, like this is something important for us to know and understand about God and about ourselves. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes... You know, we, we feel just kind of at the end of it, and we just need help. God does that a lot of times, directly himself, you know. Maybe you'll just, you'll, you'll take a nap like Elijah did, and you'll just wake up feeling refreshed and ready to go, or, you know, you get a good meal like he did, and something like that. But, but sometimes, maybe, maybe God sends a person to help us. Maybe God uh, gives us help in other forms. Okay, there, there are lots of ways... Uh, that the Bible promises that God will help us, right? Um, but not only will God help us, but so will our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I, I've been doing ministry for, for over 10 years now, and I've seen example after example of the church surrounding one another and to say, hey, I've got your back. I'm here to help you. What do you need? How can I be there for you? Right, people cooking meals, um, for people doing, doing work in the yards, work around the house. You know, I, when you don't have the skills for something, you know what? When you're a part of a church, you can probably find somebody who does or find someone who knows someone, you know, something like that. I believe that the reason churches grow is because people are out there doing the things that Jesus said to do in, in Matthew 25 where they, they feed the hungry, they give drink to the thirsty, they invite the strangers in, they clothe the naked, they care for the sick, uh, they visit the ones in prison, they do those kind of things. And the church grows because they see the love of Christ reflected in the lives of its people. When the church makes a point to help one another and help their community, people are drawn to that. People say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing there. So sometimes we need help. Sometimes other people need help. So we need to look for help when we need it and be ready to offer it when others need it as well. So in the second half of verse 9, we get to God's question to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I think a lot like the questions God asked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned, God knows the answer. God knows that what are you doing here, right? He knows the answer. It's a rhetorical question, but Elijah answers in verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Completely true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. No wonder he feels that way, right? No wonder Elijah is worn out. But then God answers him. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes we might ask ourselves the same thing. What am I doing here? Right? A few weeks ago, I was supposed to pray at the football team's dinner, and uh, I went to the wrong Methodist church in town. <laughs> but I, I pulled up, um, and I go in, and there, there's some people in the fellowship hall there, and they start looking at me, and you can tell it's all over their face. What are you doing here? And I look at them and I say, I'm in the wrong place, aren't I? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're probably looking for this one over here. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, thankfully, I got to the right church in time. Texted Audra and said, hey, I think I went to the wrong church. Where do I need to go? Uh, she straightened me out. I got, I got to the right place uh, in time to pray for the dinner. Um, but, but maybe we take, we take a wrong turn and we ask, what are you, what are you doing here? All right. but, but to get maybe a little more pointed... Sometimes we find ourselves in a place we shouldn't be, and we really need to ask the question, what are you doing here? Maybe you're married, and you find yourself alone with someone else who is not your spouse. What are you doing here? Maybe we're in a job where we're asked to do something that we know isn't right, and we need to ask, what are you doing here? Maybe we're in the wrong place physically, okay, and that's dangerous, but maybe... We just need to be like Joseph in those times, right? He found himself in a place that he might have needed to ask, well, what are you doing here, right? And Potiphar's wife confronts him, and Joseph realizes real quick, I'm in the wrong place, and he gets out of there as fast as he can, right? Doesn't even take his cloak with him. He ran because he knew, I'm in the wrong place. I do not need to be here, and he goes, and God was talking about Elijah's physical location, yes, because what are you doing here in this cave, in the wilderness, away from everybody else? There is, there is work to be done elsewhere, I think is kind of a, you know, undertone to that message. But there's other applications to it beyond the physical, right? I believe that there are people who would call themselves pastors who are teaching things that do not agree with God's word. And I wish that some people in their churches would ask them, what are you doing here? What are you doing with God's word? Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, do we see that in our society. People just want to hear a message that makes them feel good. And you know what? A lot of times the Word of God will make us feel good. It is encouraging and it is hopeful and it is great. But there's some times that it ought to convict us too. There's some times that we ought to read the Word of God and say, Ooh, I need to make some changes. If, if you're reading God's Word and you never come to the realization that I, I need to do some things differently, tell me your secrets. Let me know how you got to that point. Or maybe evaluate, why don't I feel that way? You know, one of the things that 
Anytime we evaluate our, our church here, anytime we, we look at what we're doing at New Hope, one of the most consistent things that we hear from people that we ask is, you know what, New Hope does a really great job of preaching God's word. Um, I am so thankful for that. I, I'm thankful that we can always depend on that here uh, at the church, that we're going to preach what God's word says no matter how we feel about it. Um, but that doesn't happen everywhere else, Right? But if we stop doing that, if for some reason we preach a message that you're like, I'm not sure that's what God's word really means. Ask us the question, what are you doing here? Why would you say that? Right. Because, you know, Bill and I and anyone else that preaches up here, we want to believe that what we are doing uh, is right in accordance with God's word. But if it is not, say something. Don't let us re- lead people astray, please. You know, I, I tell my students uh, when they graduate and when they move away numerous times over the years, go find a church that preaches the word. Go get involved and, and make sure that you know the word good enough to tell when it's not being preached. Right? If you don't know it for yourself, they could tell you anything they want. And as long as they sound convincing, you're not going to know any better. Right? But if you find yourself at a church that doesn't preach the word, a good question to ask might be about yourself. What, what am I doing here? What are they doing up there in the pulpit? And at the same time, I hope you never walk into a church and are greeted with the question, what are you doing here? Right? That's, that's one of the things we specifically tell our greeters. You can't say that. Right? We want everybody to feel like we're glad you're here, not like, what are you doing here? Right? That's, that's not a good greeting. Don't ever do that, please. <laughs> um, but maybe... Maybe there's times when we find ourselves trapped in sin. And maybe we don't literally ask ourselves the question, but the idea is the same. And what, am I, what am I doing here? Why am I back in this? In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denying ourselves is, of course, hard, right? Um, I don't want to deprive myself of anything that, that I want, of anything that I enjoy, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes I've got to evaluate, is this really what is best for me? Elijah wanted to just get away from it all. <laughs> I'm done. can't do this anymore. He says, you know what the solution for me is? I'm just going to go into the wilderness. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to ask God to just, that's it. I'm done. But God had another plan for him. God wasn't done with Elijah. If we want Jesus to save save us from our sins, we have to be willing to follow his instructions. And we have to trust that what he offers is better than the things that we want. We can't turn from the truth of Scripture because it's inconvenient for us or because it makes us uncomfortable. You know, people are looking at the scriptures now and saying, you know, I, I really don't like that idea. And I say that it's probably been happening for thousands of years. We just, you know, don't have it in our face all the time. Um, didn't have it in our face all the time until recently, right? But, but they discard scripture as it's been understood for thousands of years. Say, no, 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 God didn't really mean that. Yeah, he probably did. You just don't like that he meant that, right? I don't get to decide what's right and what's wrong. God has already done that. 
But every time I see that, I want to ask the question, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing with Scripture? What are you doing? You know, and I wonder, if you can do that so easily, did you really believe the whole truth of Scripture in the first place? Or did you just want to be saved from hell? I don't know. I, I, I don't know where anyone else is at. But I know, for me, there's nothing in this world that will ever convince me that you know what, I should go against God's word. I know better than he does. There's nothing that's going to convince me of that. Every time I get uncomfortable with scripture, I know that I need to change. So unless God himself speaks to me and says, Andy, here's what this really means, I'm just going to listen to the people who are smarter than I am, who have studied the scriptures, and who live according to those scriptures, and say, this is what it means. All right? Repeatedly in Scripture, in Proverbs 30 and in Deuteronomy 4 and Revelation 22, readers are warned, do not take away from or add to Scripture, right? It means what it means. It's always meant this. It's always going to mean this. So I think that even though those are referring to specific things and specific parts, right, it's safe to extend that to other parts of Scripture. Does anyone disagree with that? Like, I, I think that even though those are specific instances and references, it's safe to extend that idea. We don't add to or take away from Scripture, any of it, whether it's in Proverbs or Deuteronomy or Revelation or anywhere else. It is what it is because God has put it in order, right? The early church, many of whom had direct contact with Jesus or learned from those who had, they placed this level of importance on the Scriptures that we now have today that, that we hold to, that we continue with. And we say, I, I don't change that. I won't change this because God has put this in place. Because I don't want to hear from God, what are you doing here in relation to how I teach the scriptures? But in all this, so self-evaluation is important, right? We need to look at where am I at? What am I doing? Do I need to make changes for all my life? You know, that's why we do things like strategic planning for the church. We don't want to just say, you know, sit around and pat ourselves on the back. We're doing a great job. I think we are doing a great job, but there's always things that we can do better. There's always ways that the church can improve, and there's always ways that I can improve personally. So I want to look at my life say, well, what am I doing? How can I do it better? How can I be a better father? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better teacher of Scripture? How can I be a better friend, servant, whatever? So we, we evaluate ourselves. But even when we get to that spot where we need to ask or have asked of us, what are you doing here? There's comfort for the Lord, right? He's not just scolding Elijah. He's actually really not scolding him at all. He's just kind of nudging him. Hey, let's get back where we need to be. Let's get back to doing what you need to do. God tells Elijah where to go and what to do. He says, go back the way you came. This is in verse 15 of 1 Kings 19. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, um, set these leaders in place. And then he says, I'm not going to pronounce the names because I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, so anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. He says, I'm going to give you your replacement. 
I'm going to put him there with you. But he doesn't say, okay, your work is done. From what I understand, most Bible scholars agree that Elijah and Elisha worked together for about six years. There was still more work to be done. You can't go hide in a cave, Elijah. There's more work to do. So for about six years, they did the work of God together. And then eventually, Elijah's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, right? Because of his faithfulness, he did not die. He was taken up to heaven. Finally, Elijah was released from service, but not before there was more work done. He gave him a partner to share the load, and he called him back to what he needed to do. And maybe that's where we need to evaluate again, what am I doing here? Am I helping to partner with the other believers in the church and make it the best place to come and experience the love of God and learn more about living my life for Him? Okay, we have a great staff at this church, but we're only four people, right? We can't do everything, and if we did, you would be sorely disappointed, okay? There are people with abilities that we do not have, and we thank God that they use them, okay? Bill could lead worship, and Audra can play, but Jennifer and me have no place on this stage during worship time, okay? That's not our, that's not our strength. It would be good, but it's better that we have other people sharing the load, Right? The more committed volunteers we have using their gifts for the kingdom, the more this church can do. The more people we have willing to give uh, from what God has given them, the more work this church can do. The more people we have praying behind the scenes, the more lives that are changed. The more people willing to teach Sunday school, to teach a children's lesson, to volunteer at VBS to decorate the church, to, to give a communion meditation, to do all these different things that make this church what it is, the more people we have sharing the load, the better we can do. You all have a gift that God has given you. You all have something that God has called you to do. We all do. And we want to encourage you, figure out how can I serve? How can I help? What am I doing here? How can I do more? I don't know what it is. I could throw out some ideas, okay? But you know what you love to do. You know, hopefully, how God has gifted you and what you can do, right? When, when we find ourselves asking, what am I doing here? God offers us a way back to where we should be. And God sent Jesus so that when we found ourselves separated from him, we had a way back to a right relationship. We don't have to stay where we are. So as we close, I want, I want to think about, where am I? Am I serving God to the fullest extent? Am I giving him everything that I can? Am I fulfilling the duties that God has given me as, as a parent, as a Christian? Okay, am I going and sharing the gospel with the people in my reach? As a son or a daughter, as an employee where I work, am I doing what I've been called to do? Can people see Jesus in your life? Or are they asking the question, what are you doing here? I hope they're not. I hope they look at you and say, I know exactly what you're doing. You're living out your faith. You're doing what God has called you to do. A little self-evaluation is good. All right? If you don't know the answer to that question, let's, 
Let's work together. Let's take some action. Let's find some help. What can I do for God? Whether you are one or a hundred or somewhere in between, there's something you can do for the Lord. Something where you can take some action and change this world for the better. Today is always the best time to start something. So if there's a decision that you need to make or something you need to pray about, now is a great time to do it.